Oh, yeah, you're the teacher pop quiz. Okay, so we just finished looking at the Torah portions in some depth. You know, like I say, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus, I suppose we did some of that stuff. And so many people, so many, well, so many people, but a lot of Christian people tend to look at you funny when you say stuff like that. You, you spend a year doing what? Look, looking at, you know, come on, I can't even read it. Why would you want to learn about that stuff when you could spend a year in the New Testament learning about all that stuff? And same stuff. It's the same stuff. It's it's better stuff, if you ask me. So what I want to do is is uh, look at some of these things and see what you think. Anyway, we'll give this a try and see. So Jesus had this reply to someone with that mindset. And I'm going to try to do most of this stuff out of the New Testament, which really isn't my forte, but just so you can see that they thought the same things. It's just, it's somehow it has been twisted or watered down or changed or something in the ensuing 2,000 years. But you be the judge. John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. For had he believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my writings? You know, and if you think about that the other way, it's because you do not believe Moses and his writings, you cannot believe in me. So how would... How would you guys, and this is the part where you have to answer, how would you guys read that? I mean, do you agree or believe or have considered that Jesus was speaking all the stuff out of the Old Testament? Because that's not typically the things that were taught, right? So would it matter to you? I mean, does... Think about what you believe about the Bible. And have you ever considered this, you know, that he says, I mean, this is what he says. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. He wrote of me. And square that with how we look at the Old Testament. Is that <clears throat> odd? I think it is 100% true. It, it, it's, it even... Um, Goes along the same lines that people don't don't believe it, the Jonah story, but Jesus referred to it and said that it was completely true. Right. So That's... it is. It's a confirmation that Old Testament is the truth, and Jesus confirmed that with his own words on earth and actions. Like That's right. The cross that Jesus died on. Everybody thinks. That, that's where the cross came into the Bible. And then when you see that Jesus called all the tribes out in the wilderness and set them up, it formed a cross. Formed a cross, exactly. Numbers, yeah. That's what we learned. Yeah. And when they were at the bitter waters of Meribah, yeah, Moses threw an eighth, a tree, which is translated as cross in the New Testament, threw it in the water to make the bitter water sweet. So yeah, it's all through Scripture. But think about how you have been, uh, you know, and my goal is not to badmouth pastors and churches, but it's 
to get you to maybe put in perspective some of the things that you think you were taught or were taught and line them up with what the Bible actually says. Because some of the things just don't line up. Um, but if they don't, that means we're not learning it correctly because it should line up. It should line up. And so it's like some of the work, some of the areas that we've learned when we've learned our Torah portions in this last year or so, um, when you went through all all those, is it some kind of a concordance that you use to see all the words like that mean Mary or all the words yeah. that mean, and, and in doing that, you found a word that correlates. So it's kind of like whatever the context was. Right. And, and we've also learned that, you know, the old, the people in the Old Testament, they didn't, they weren't handed a Bible. They learned their lessons from a speaker. And from so Moses. you would hear this person speak for hours on end, and you would get the context. So when you used that word, you knew how to take it. Or a song. Right. Or a song, exactly. <clears throat> the Exodus started with a song and ended with a song. I and mean, that's, that's how we remembered stuff, yeah. right? You teach them a song. Now come to abolish the Torah. Exactly. I mean, this just shows them that it's fulfilling exactly what it is. Was Moses the first one to use a song in the Old Testament? As far as I know. Well, his sister, she she sang the song when they went through the Red Sea. And then at the end, when they were going into the Promised Land, he sang a song for the people to learn. So when they entered the Promised Land, they learned a song. And when they left it, they learned a song. And then they had 40 years of listening to the Lord through Moses while they were in the desert. So yeah, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, again, today, will say that the Tanakh doesn't have, and Tanakh, of course, is, uh, I can't remember what you call those words, like the army uses, you take the first letters of each thing and it makes a word. So Tanakh, is it what? Is it an anagram? Acronym. I don't know. It's something. Okay. Acronym. We're going with acronym. All right. I'll go with that. So Tanakh, which is what we might call the Old Testament, is the T-A, the T-A, the T part is the Torah, which is the first five books. Then the N-A part is the Nuvim, which is the prophets. And then the Ketuvim, which is the K-H part, is the wisdom books. So they say Tanakh, it just, we would call it the Old Testament. But I don't like calling it the Old Testament because that's pejorative. And it should be the other way around. It should be the First Testament and the Second Testament, but whatever. Um, yeah, so when I say Tanakh, I just mean the Old Testament. The, the Torah, which is poorly translated as law, which incidentally, when, it was, when Torah was translated into Greek, it was translated as nomos, which is a word that translated into English became law, but the Greek word nomos is actually uh, a word to describe the cross fencing in a pasture to keep the animals from getting lost, which actually is a delightful translation of the word Torah, because that's basically what it is. It's the instructions so that the we don't get, we lost. Don't get lost. You know, we don't wander away from the, the food source, as it were. Um, so anyway, it got translated. Well, so when you go to the New Testament, the Second Testament, and you read the words lawless or 
there's inequity, there's words like that. In Greek, if you go back to what the Greek word is, it's anomios. It's without nomios. So if you translate it back into Hebrew, when you are being lawless or you're full of inequity, you are without Torah, just so you know. Um, so a lot of times you will hear or it's, it's implied that the Tanakh doesn't have much for us, right? It was for them back then, those days. And um, we're saved by grace. You hear that a lot. And after all, Jesus loves us. So I guess one question would be, I mean, do you believe that? We are saved by grace. I mean, you know, it's God's grace. Like, uh, only and, and God does love us. <laughs> yeah. So does God loving you save you? No. No. It's exactly. He loves everyone. And we know everyone is not saved. So, we wouldn't be a good enough person to set up the table, then right. we wouldn't be saved either. So the fact that God loves you does not affect your salvation. All it really means is uh, he'll be sorry to see you go if you don't if you don't follow along. So uh, well, you're really not. But it is God's grace that allows us to be saved because we can't get there on our own. But you're right. We're not. Not really saved by grace. We're saved by heart. faith. Yeah, heart. Exactly. Your heart has to be good. And that goes back to... Saved by God. Yeah, you're saved by God. Yeah. But he's offered that to everybody. So there has to be another part to that because not everybody will wind up there. So if he's offered it to everybody and he loves everybody and he desires for everybody to be in his house... But there are rules in the house. And if you're not willing to pay attention to the rules to do the things that he asks you to do, you're not excluded because you didn't keep the rules. You're excluded because you didn't have the heart to keep the rules. It's not a, you know, he's not keeping track of your mistakes and your good. You're not being saved by how much you know or how much you don't know or how good you do or how... How bad you do. Look at David. <laughs> exactly. I mean, look at them all. That's the great thing about the Bible. You look at all these people, with the exception of Daniel and Joseph, and they're, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't want that guy living next to me. <laughs> you know, but... But God said, with David, he's a man after his own heart. Exactly. And David is a loser. <laughs> and that gives me... You know, that gives me, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Because he did have a heart for the Lord, but he was flesh and blood. And the things don't always, uh, you know, go hand in hand. Now with Joseph and with Daniel, you never hear any bad. So it's conceivable that people could live that way. Um, I don't know anybody that, well, maybe Dave and Jane Brown, but... For the most part, we're human. We're like Jacob and David, and you know. So the goal here is to to 
follow him and to let him have your heart and to it's the same thing as a marriage you know there are if your heart is in it you will do things that you probably wouldn't even think of doing previously you know you've changed you've gone from adam to ish you know you've changed and then that's how we're supposed to be and i don't want to give the impression because what we're going to go through might give you the impression that you have to obey all these things or else because that's not the case i mean you should have a heart to obey these things and if you're just willfully sinning and disobeying the lord then you know you need to take that up with the lord but it's not a you know you can't get to heaven because you did this it's more like you can't get to heaven because you continue to do this. You know, the Lord has explained it to you, hopefully. I mean, maybe he hasn't yet, but he will. And then if you choose, that's the whole thing about uh, gays. You know, it's we have lots of gay friends. You know, they're great people. I love them. It's fine. But once they know the truth, and if they choose to continue in that path, then that is an indication their heart is not right. Or people we may, heterosexual people we may know that are having uh, what the Bible would refer to as fornication, you know, adultery, extramarital or whatever. If once they find out that's not right and they continue to do it, that's when you have the problem because that would indicate maybe you have a heart hard for the Lord, you know, I mean. And then the first, it's like a slippery slope. You get on it and you go, you know, well, I haven't killed anybody this week. I'm good. And then you start reading more and more. And it's like, okay, well, I haven't stolen anything. I'm good. You know, I, I haven't, you go through the list and it gets harder and harder to say I'm good. And you get past the big 10 and then there's a bunch of other stuff. And it's like, oh, Really? like the more you learn the more you're held accountable that's right so in some sense you shouldn't be here but uh, I, I know that's maybe not the best sales pitch but um, anyway so, so we should all leave <laughs> I don't know you take that up with the word ignorance is bliss uh, ignorance is bliss actually in that regard because you know that's the classic question right so what about the aborigines you know they were hurt like, well, okay, if they've never heard, and they've never been, you know, they never had to make that choice, you know the Aborigines have God. I mean, they recognize God in everything. They see, they are among the most religious people you're ever going to see. They're good until somebody explains to them who the real God is, and who this Jesus cat is, and Yeshua, and all of that. And then they're accountable for that knowledge. But up until that point, it's remember when David, uh, because of his sin, had a baby. The baby was sick. He prayed and prayed and prayed and did everything he could do. Made offerings. The whole deal, the baby dies. Well, when the baby dies, he's fine. You know, skipping around, everything's good. And someone asks him, what doesn't look right? And his response was, you know, that the baby's with the Lord. He didn't know. He, he hadn't made a decision. All children who don't know go directly to the Lord because they haven't, you know, they, they're not old enough to make that decision yet. 
So that's the ultimate goal for every parent, right? Is to raise their children in such a way that they will meet their maker and they will be saved and they will wind up with an eternity with the Lord. Well, David just did that. So he was happy about it. He wanted his child to live. The child did not live. He's fine with that. So that just speaks to the, God doesn't judge you on what you know or what you don't know. He judges you on your heart or on your dog, apparently. <laughs> what happened to her calm? She ate it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, or something, or a smaller Kong. Uh, so the other thing to consider here too, is as you're reading the Second Testament, or all of these disciples, or, you know, <laughs> it just irritates me to death that every single time you see a religious leader on the news the guy can't even put his collar on straight. Why do they always use Catholics? I don't even know that they're saved. Why wouldn't they use a Christian? Okay. So anyway, the point here is, that may have been a little harsh, because I know there's many, Christ, many Catholics that are saved, but the leadership, I would not want to be the Pope or any of those guys. But um, the point is, all of these disciples, we read the New Testament and we read them saying stuff about the Word and the Lord and it's, you know, it does this and it does that and it's good for this and it's good for that. Realize that there was no New Testament when they were saying that stuff. When they were saying that stuff, they were talking expressly about the Tanakh and usually about the Torah, the first five books. So everything they were repeating and doing, the way they behaved and acted, the things that were in their heart, are because that's what they knew to be true from the Tanakh. And it's just their actions were written down in their letters and you know their thoughts and became the Second Testament. But it's, you know, when, when, when Paul is talking about the simplicity of scripture or, or you can use it for reproof or, you know, any, he's not talking about the New Testament. And most Christians, I mean, if you ask them, I suppose, and had them graph it out, they would know that. But they don't think that way. They always think, oh, he's, you know, it's in the New Testament. That The New Testament, it's, that's the one. You know, and it's... Well, that's where it appears. That's where it appears, but it's mm -hmm. sort of a rehash mm -hmm. of everything. Okay. So I wanted to... Uh, the book of Revelation, all the disciples wrote their stuff down and there was no New Testament. So the last book written apparently was the book of Revelation. John wrote it, they think, you know, in the 90s or something. So by the time he wrote this, some of what we call the New Testament had been written. And, you know, certainly the Gospels and, you know, maybe most of it had been written. So when I look at the new or, or the book of Revelation, to me it's the last it's the last thing written and there could have been most of what we call the New Testament written by then and presumably John would have known it or known of it. So when you read from the book of Revelation, 
if there had been new information that the disciples had, or if there was new revelation God gave and it would somehow change an understanding or something of the Tanakh, you would think it would be referenced in the very last book, the book of the Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it starts this way. The revolution, <laughs> revolution, well it is a revolution. The revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, which Yahweh gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of Yahweh and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah and of all things that he saw. So we're going to read this uh, at least two more times in the book of Revelation where it says something like, bear record of the word of Yahweh, or God, whatever your version might say. That would be the Tanakh. And the testimony of Yeshua's Messiah and all the things that he saw, that would be Jesus. So the, the, the book starts out by saying, you have to have both. You have to both understand the Messiah I have sent, which was Jesus or Yeshua more accurately, and you have to bear record of the word of God. So if we skip down to chapter 12, and chapter 12 is the one where uh, you see the mysteries in heaven where the woman appears and she's uh, uh, got uh, 12 crowns. And, you know, it's clear that this woman is Israel and she's about to give birth to this son who's got a rod of iron and will rule the nations. And another mystery appears, this red dragon who's trying to devour the son. So, you know, the red dragon, duh, you got that. And the son would be Jesus, I'm guessing. Um, so Revelation down in verse 17, chapter 12 of verse 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he made, uh, went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So who's the remnant of her seed? If she's Israel, and her son is Yeshua or Jesus. That's us. Yes, that's us. So the this red dragon, this, and we didn't have any red dragons at the door last night. <laughs> I mean, that used to be a big costume, right? You come as the devil. Well, I don't know why, but you would come as the devil. Red it's dragon, right? China. Big tail, pokey deal, you know. Um, we didn't have any. Okay, so, so you've got Israel, you've got Yeshua, you've got the devil, if you want to say that. Well, the remnant of the seed is us. So how does Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, among the last words written in the Bible, both literally and figuratively, describes us, Israel, or the children of Yeshua, this way, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus. Right, we do believe in Jesus. We're not so hot with keeping the commandments of God. So you go down a little further. Uh, there's, you know, the, the whole four angels proclaiming Babylon has fallen, fallen, and this battle is drawn, and it describes 
you know, all this stuff, and it's, uh, you know, it's revelation. It's not going to be a totally fun time. And then there's a group of people, it says, that have overcome all of this stuff. And here is the patience, and these are the people. Here are the patience of the saints. They are that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Again, this is the third time it's said both of those things are required. If you get all the way down to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 is the last chapter, most of the way down that in verse 14, it said, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the great gates of the city. So, four times, and there's more, but those four times in the book of Revelation, this appears hundreds of times in the Tanakh, but I mean, that's all Old Testament. Nobody believes any of that stuff. Four times in the book of Revelation, if this had changed, certainly John would have known it, and it wouldn't have appeared <coughs> 70, 60 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is the one who came to John and told him this stuff. So if this had changed somehow, wouldn't he have told John that? So what do you suppose these commandments are that they're talking about? We have to keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Of course, it's the Torah. Well, of course. But which, which ones? Do we know them? <laughs> okay. Well, I would suggest it is the Torah. But you go to any denominational church and tell them that. And this is in their Bibles. They all read this. How do you read this and not read that? How do you read this and say, oh, no, no, no. It's not those commandments. Well, what is it? I think they boil it down just to the Ten Commandments. And they leave it there. And I think a lot of times... You've read my notes. Okay, look, I knew somebody was going to say that because that's what they say, right? It's the Ten Commandments. Okay, Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 16 through 19. And you guys know this story. You probably didn't know the address. And behold, one came unto him and said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is not one good, or there is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt ever enter into the life, keep the commandments. Okay, so he says this. Which ones? I mean, think about that for a minute. <laughs> keep the commandments. That's how you get eternal life. And his question is, which ones? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make sense. Okay, but that's not my point. He said, and he said unto him, which, Jesus said, you shall uh, do no murder, okay, not commit adultery, okay, not steal, okay, not bear false witness, okay, honor thy father and thy mother, got it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, right? Ten commandments, yeah? No. Do you realize one of those isn't the ten in the, in the Ten Commandments? Love thy neighbor. Exactly. But if that, you love your neighbor, you don't do any of the other. Well, that's true. <laughs> but he didn't. You know, it's he didn't repeat the Ten Commandments. So I would suggest that there's more to it 
than keeping the Ten Commandments? I don't know. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Second John 6. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you should have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it or, or we should do it. So what have we heard the from the beginning? Well, we don't teach it in churches. We barely even know the Ten Commandments. I mean, and I won't put anybody here on the spot, but do you even know anybody that can recite all of the Ten Commandments? And those aren't even the commandments. That's just a small portion of it. Remember, and we're going to do the number things. I thought, right? what's that? It's over 300. Yeah, well, yeah, that's open to debate. There are, according to the rabbis, there's 613. But the rabbis had to come to 613 because that number has special meaning. So when they're figuring all this stuff out, they had to search through the scripture and come up with 613 because they wanted 613. And there are some, as you and I read it, that it's hard to read and they're not duplicated. It's the same thing, but you're counting it twice. So it's got like Obama math there, you know. And then there are others that you read it, like in, in Jim's, in the bare sheet, in the Torah portion today, I think one of the very first commandments is what? Go forth and multiply. Well, they don't count that one. So there are a bunch. I don't know how many. And we are going to look at them uh, as soon as I figure out how we can do that to get some sense of what it is. But again, it's, it's the direction you should walk. These, they, they, we call them laws in English. It's unfortunate that we call them that because they're not laws. If they were laws, every time you violated them, there would be a spiritual penalty. <laughs> you know, you would be smitten or smote or whatever it is. Uh, one of my favorite, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with your light. One of my favorite Gary Larson cartoons is, you know, New York City way up there moving a piano and they've got the piano up 50 stories or something and, you know, the doof's walking underneath it on the sidewalk. And then in the bubble, you see a picture who looks like what God would be on his keyboard and he's about to push the smite button. <laughs> that's not how it works. It's funny, but that's not how it works. If we violate a commandment, there's generally no immediate... You know, he, do, he doesn't drop the piano on your head. There may be a consequence to it. You could be pregnant or get a disease or be injured or lose, you know, I mean, the consequences could be, and those should be separate from your actually violating the, because that's, God is not punitive like that. He is gracious and long-suffering, and he tries to teach, not to rebuke. I mean, the time is coming that will change. But with us, he's not punitive. We can violate the commandments and his hope is that we would learn from them. And if you recall, uh, two, three, four, we, I don't remember when it was, Moses was recapping something and he, he, he'd indicated that you're better off if you know the law and sin 
because then you can repent. If you can repent, you can be restored. If you can be restored, you can be saved. Then you are to not know the commandment. And then if you sin, you'll never repent and you can't be restored. And the implication would be then, how are you saved? So it, it seems important enough that he puts this in his scriptures thousands of times. Second uh, John verse six, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as, you, oh, we just read that, that as you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Uh, John 14, 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. Now, that's our goal, right? Is, is to be loved by the father, to be embraced and brought into the kingdom, whatever that's going to look like to spend all eternity with God. And he says to do that. And I mean, I'm not making this up. Maybe I'm misreading it. But it says to do that, you have to keep his commandments. That's how you show that you love the Lord. First John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So we know God loves us. But do we love God? And every Christian would say, you know, they would be offended that I even asked the question. Mm -hmm. Of course I love God. Well, if you love him, why didn't you do what he asked? What do you mean? I haven't killed anybody all week. Okay, that's good. Keep up the good work. But you would love him more than this things that you know are sins that you're doing on a regular basis or even an irregular basis. Right. Yeah. And But the biggest deal is if you don't know. What if you don't know? And then who's making the rules? Who's making the commandments? You are. Right. I know. And you can get to heaven and stand at the Bema seat and Jesus will be there and he'll ask you something and you'll say something stupid, and he'll go, you know, he's about to pull the lever. And you'll say, wait, 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 that's what they taught me. So, it's your duty. It's, you know, that's the whole watchman on the wall thing, remember? It says if the watchman sees something coming and doesn't blow the horn to alert the people, then the blood's on his hands. But if he does blow the horn to alert the people and they choose not to do something, then the blood's on their own hands. Well, he sent us a letter and we should read it. We should read it, exactly. And we read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. And oh my gosh, it's so boring. <laughs> but it just did that. It was fascinating, I thought. I, I mean, agree. chapter 5 of Genesis. Did anybody get anything good out of that? Have you read that before? You know. And, and isn't it um, the truth that you told us that um, the Jews read the Torah over and over and over and over. So if you were having a, a moment when you weren't listening, the next year hopefully you'd be paying attention. Hopefully. When they said that part of it and go, you go, oh, 
I didn't get that last year or the year yeah. before. Yeah. Or the year before. <laughs> yeah, did you just add that? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we, we've all been there. You go to church and you and hear the sermon don't fifty do, times. We don't do that in the Christian church. They mm -hmm. pick a gospel or whatever to read that goes with maybe a sermon that they're going to give. Yeah, sometimes. To reinforce yeah. It, but we don't like read it from the beginning to the end, you know, systematically. So there's no chance of missing anything. Yeah. And we don't read it in context. And, and I mean, in our defense, we don't speak Hebrew. And we don't read Hebrew. And we don't live in that culture. And this is, you know, 4,000 years after the fact. Or 5,000 years. To figure it out. But it is not impossible to figure it out. And I think once you start on that path, I mean, for me, you know, it's just, it's eye-opening. And I'm, that, you know, I used to have a, a pronounced forehead, but for doing this so often, it's flat now. You know, it's like, how did I miss that? And then the next question is like, well, why didn't somebody ever teach me that? Because it's just so, I mean, it's, it makes, it's crazy. Okay, so that's a good way to get thrown out of church is ask people, um, do you love God? And they'll go, yes, and have them explain why they think that's true. Because they can't. They love God because they think they love God. We do the things, you know, we build our own commandments. We pick and choose a few. You know, we're good with the whole no murder thing. Um, most people are good with the no adultery thing. You know, no button. <laughs> yes. Don't raise your hand when I say that. <laughs> Right. Or did you, maybe you didn't steal a piece of candy, but maybe you stole time. Did you, you didn't commit adultery with someone you're not married to, but you have an idol, so you're committing adultery against God. We, we just let ourselves off the hook way too easily. We do. You'll be teaching next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah, and it is narrow. It's very narrow. But it doesn't have to be. That's the thing. It's all here. And if you remember from Matthew 13, you know, he's out speaking to the rabble. Jesus is speaking, which is actual Greek word. It means rabble. He's speaking to the crowds. It probably says in your Bible. And he speaks in parables. And then he comes back in and the disciples come to him and say, uh, how can you speak to the rabble in parables? Why don't you just tell them the truth and his response is to them it's not given to know the mysteries of the kingdom but to you it's given and I always suggest that what's given to them is they knew the Torah <laughs> they had those things in their heart they knew exactly what you were saying don't conduct yourself in a way that you know you, you, you worship idols could be football could be and that's one of the most irritating things of any pastor at any church is, oh, we can't come because we have a soccer game, because my kids got a saxophone practice, because that's the whole purpose of the Sabbath, 
is you don't do anything else. You spend the day, and could you imagine, I mean, we've got 800 years here or something or more. If we had 800 times 50 is what? 40,000, 4,000, I don't know, it's a bunch. If we spent 4,000 days just studying this stuff, you know, if you spend a day a week learning the things of the Lord, like he's asked you to do, take the Sabbath off. Don't make money on the Sabbath. I'm going to provide for you all week. You're going to have more than you can imagine. Just give me a break here and spend the day learning from me. Right? If we spent a day a week learning this stuff, our lives would be vastly different because we would see things and go, oh, you know what? I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I thought that was okay. I finally said something to the guy wearing a Brady shirt. Did you? I couldn't take it anymore. No offense to Tom Brady, I'm sure. I know, that's the thing. It's wearing that stuff to church. That's just, I don't get it. You know, wearing somebody's name on you like that to church, it's like worshiping someone else mm-hmm. and coming to church while you're doing it. It kind you know, of is. I call football a pedestal maker. That's why I don't watch it. Yeah. Sports in general. I know. I don't uh, either. Well, I have uh, better things to do, actually. Well, uh, you know, Broncos played uh, Sunday at 28 people second service. Really? Off season, we have around 65. Oh my gosh. So, tell me. You know. It's the best time to go shopping. There's no that's like it's <laughs> 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 the same as normal. Oh. It didn't. So they didn't come earlier. Sometimes it, no, it works did. out. They did come earlier. That's what he's saying. About oh, okay. Well, sometimes they do. But, uh, it only gets up to around, we normally have 85. It gets around to close to 100 sometimes. But when you got 40 people, and only 15 more show up first service, then there's quite a few that are pulling off church to watch the good old football game. Or to go skiing or whatever. Or, whatever, yeah. or golfing. Exactly. Or, yeah. You know, and tell me that none of that is set up by the enemy of the Lord. Yep. You know, that's the way he works. Is he In our lives, remember when they went into the promised land what Moses told them. You are entering a land of abundance. Life will be easy for you. And, I, and he told, this wasn't a warning. He said, this is what will happen to you. Because of the great abundance, your heart will get hard, hard and you will leave the Lord. Because of the abundance of the place you were. When you're in the desert, that's a different deal. God is there every day feeding you. The temple is in your midst. You, you can't avoid it. Sheep. Yeah. And then you get to, the, to this land of great abundance and... Yes? But in all honesty, if churches would observe the true Sabbath, football could happen on Sundays. Well, that's true. Then NASCAR could too. They would just move it to Saturday, though. (laughs) They probably would. Yeah, but we could fake them out for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) We could. Okay, so as you're reading scripture, I'm sure you're going to start reading it in Hebrew because it's just an awesome language. You will run into this word shamar, it's to keep. And I don't know what you in English think keep. Um, but keep in Old English means to guard. In, in Hebrew, it means to guard, guard or protect. So you, you're called to keep the commandments. You read that all the time. Keep the commandments, keep the commandments. Keep. 
So in one sense, it means, I mean, you're, you should do the commandments. You should, you know. But the, the word shamar actually means you should guard them. So we should, uh, we should live our lives in a way that guard and protect the word of the Lord. Well, how do you do that? You know, and joining in and looking like the world is not how you do that. Then there's the word zakar. So most of the denominations, especially with the funny robes and stuff, when you get to the altar where the priest, pastor, reverend, whoever it is, is giving the message, often the altar will say, do this in remembrance of me, because that's where they share communion. That word zakar is remember. But in Hebrew, remember isn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember when he did that for me. Remember is remember and do. You, re, you know something, you learn, you remember it, and you do it. You don't just put it in your pocket to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I thought about that guy. I'm good. I thought about the Lord yesterday. We're awesome. It says to do it. So these two words, Zakar and Shamar, um, are things that we don't really do in English. You know, we don't guard the word of the Lord. Because the best way to guard the word of the Lord is obviously to do the word of the Lord. But it's to show that you're doing the word of the Lord. You know, your life should look different than your neighbor's lives in a bunch of different ways. And, and you know, one I would suggest might be football or idols or, you know, one of that. But anyway, think about that. How, how do you guard? Because we've read it how many times just today? And I, I didn't look it up, but I'll bet... 1,500 times or more in Scripture, it will say, keep the commandments, guard the commandments, protect the commandments. Certainly it means do the commandments, but it's more than that. Guard them. You're the, you're the guy. You are the, or girl, you're the one guarding the truth of the Lord. Okay, let, let me hit a few other things here. First um, John 2, 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 2 Peter 3, 2, that we be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles and the Lord, our Savior and Savior. Um, okay, do you know the Lord? There's another question I get you cast out of church. Do you know the Lord? Really? Why, why do you think you know the Lord? In Hebrew, it's easy. There's two words, yadah and da'ath. If you da'ath the Lord, that just means intellectual book learning. I know all about him. And I would suggest that many people that we know, probably in the pew next to us, da'ath the Lord. They know about him. Remember when uh, we were in Exodus and the Lord said, uh, Jacob, Jacob, Isaac, Isaac, Japheth, and those three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew of me, but they did not know me. And to these people coming out of Egypt, he said, they will come to know me. So it's Da'at and Yadah. When, when Adam Yadah'd Eve, they got a baby. It's an intimate knowledge. It's, it's, that's how we're supposed to know the Lord, intimately. We're not supposed to know him from the, you know, know of him, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. They, he had never done 
anything like he was going to do for the Exodus generation. So they came to know him in a new way. He was just El Shaddai, the provider God. He was that guy. And he, they knew that he did those things, and they knew he was God, and they knew he was awesome, but they did not know him. We, according to Paul, need to look at the Exodus generation because they are our examples, and the things that happen to them will happen to us. They came to know the Lord personally because of the things he did, and he was in their midst, and you know, you think of all this, the part of the Red Sea and the manna and the bitter waters for sweet and wiping out all the kings. And I mean, all the things, it was constant. It was in their face. They knew this guy better than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. That's us. We're the Exodus generation, according to Paul, if this is anything like the last days. And we are to, to look at that as an example. An example is we have to yadah the Lord. We have to come to a knowledge that maybe... Um, we didn't have before. It's kind of like uh, those guys that came to the Lord and, and they said to him, we cast out demons in your name and all this. And he said, depart from me, I know you're not. Yeah, exactly. Your heart wasn't at all. Right? Your heart wasn't at all. And that's it. So all of this stuff, and again, I can't stress this enough, It's not you're not going to get there because you kept all 613 commandments, or however many there are. I mean, the Pharisees did. They kept most of the commandments and were, you know, straining that out of the tea because you can't, you know, can't eat a gnat. They were good about that, but they missed the whole Messiah thing. So they could not be saved. We've, you know, we're, we're Israel. We're pretty good with the Messiah thing, but we are terrible with the commandment thing. So that's... Uh, probably it for tonight and we'll pick this up next